while we are continuing our study through the book of Mark. And last week we had, to, we had the disciples responding to Jesus, letting them know what's about to happen when they enter Jerusalem. And their response, as we talked about, was pretty questionable, to say the least. And Jesus doubled down on, on the consequences of following him, hoping they would be prepared for what was about to happen. We also mentioned that we should also be prepared for the hardships and persecutions that happen because we follow Jesus or in spite of us following Jesus. How many know that God never promised you, quote, a rose garden? God never promised you a great life here. God helped you through it. God will encourage you in it. But we all see every day struggles of everyday Christians who face hardships that are unimaginable. And yet they still trust God. And that should be an encouragement to us to do the same. So now we come to the next and the last miracle that's recorded in the book of Mark. It also concludes our study in chapter 10. So starting at verse 46, it reads this way, then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When they heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man. Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. And go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Well, let's pray. Father, we again thank you for your word that encourages us and strengthens us. And I pray as we study it this morning, you would help me to rightly divide it and allow it to matter to us what your word says to each one of us individually. And let us leave knowing that the God of the universe has spoken to each one of us individually through his word. And we will thank you in advance in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you compare the accounts of this one, you'll find that there's actually two men. Bartimaeus was probably the more vocal of the two. If you look at Matthew's account, Matthew 20, verse 29 says, And Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho. A large, crowd, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they said, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Lord son of David, have mercy on us. So there's at least two of them. But the account that Mark records is the one of Bartimaeus. And during this time, blind men on the side of the road was not uncommon. It was a common occurrence. And Jesus would have probably just kept on walking since seeing blind guys were normal for the day. But these guys needed to get Jesus' attention. They weren't satisfied with just letting Jesus keep on walking. Are you satisfied with where you are? Or do you want Jesus to really come and walk with you? They're going to do their best to have at least Jesus acknowledge them and trust what they were hearing about Jesus was true. Now, what did they hear? That he was, a heal he was healing people, and some of the people he healed were blind. So this guy's on the side of the road thinking, 
I got nothing to lose. He's healing some blind guys. Maybe he'll heal me. Now, notice, notice the urgency of how they approached Jesus. Verse 46 says, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the blind city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that Jesus, it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. As soon as this guy heard it was Jesus, he instantly started shouting his name. And these guys did not care what people thought or how people would react. They called for Jesus regardless of any outward grief they might get. They weren't concerned either of how Jesus was going to react. Now we assume they started calling for Jesus when they heard that he was there. And we would assume that he, they knew Jesus had been healing around the area. Why else would you call for a guy if you didn't think he could heal you? They had to have known what was going on. They had to have known that he was a healer. And so instantly they started calling for God. I thought about how often do we wait before we go to God in prayer? We try to handle things that come up in our life instantly without asking God for, for prayer. Last night, we, were, we had been going through all of our Christmas stuff, looking for stuff that we had gotten throughout the year. And there was something Anna was looking for. We couldn't find it. We couldn't find it. And Lauren comes in and she says, did you pray and ask God to show you where it was? We're like, no. So we prayed and we went through everything else again and we found it. Now, we could have been sitting here grumbling this morning thinking we can't find it, we can't find it because we didn't ask the Lord to help us find it. And sometimes we don't go to God right away because we think we can do it ourselves. It's not that big a deal. God will help us. You know, I, I can do it myself. This guy was not that way. He knew that he needed to start talking to Jesus right away. He needed to get his attention. And whenever we face everything in our life, we, the first thing we need to do is pray. I think your scripture last year for the women was, but first, pray, right? Why? Because you're asking God to help you with whatever situation it is. Whenever you try to handle something on your own is usually when it doesn't work out the way you think it's going to work out. They knew Jesus was a healer, so they instantly and loudly called to him. How do we respond when hardships or sickness come our way? We weather the storm, we go to the doctors, or do we pray about it and then go to the doctors? Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Do you come to God with confidence? that he's going to hear you. I think we all know God's going to hear us. But you have confidence that God's going to respond to you. Do you have confidence in his mercy and grace? Now, maybe you have confidence for somebody else, but you have confidence that God is going to give you grace and mercy. It's easy to believe for somebody else sometimes, but it's hard to maybe sometimes believe for yourself. Yeah, God will give grace and mercy to that family over there, but 
I don't, I don't know if I deserve God's grace and mercy today. But the Bible says we can go with confidence. It doesn't say we have to be perfect to go to with confidence. Just that we go with confidence knowing that our Father hears us. And he will give you grace and mercy and help in your time of need. How many have confidence for somebody else? Now the King James uses the word boldly. Now that doesn't mean cocky or arrogant, but confidence and bold in your approach. Christmas is coming. How many of your kids are getting pretty bold and confident in asking you for something that they want for Christmas? They may be bold and confident this is what they want, believing that you're going to buy it for them. Doesn't mean you will, but they just, the younger they are, the more confident they are that you're going to get it for them. Why? Because Santa's going to bring it, right? As they get older, their confidence may wane a little bit, right? And maybe they're not going to get everything they asked for because everything they asked for isn't five and ten dollars. It's hundreds of dollars. And they're just confident that you're going to get that for them. No. Mark is on back at verse 46. It says, when they heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, they began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, the term Jesus, son of David, is for them in a not an ambiguous term. There was no doubt with everyone around him how he was addressing Jesus. Jesus used that term himself when he referred to himself as the Christ. In Mark 12, it says, while Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, how is it that the teachers of the law say that the Christ is the son of David? Now, going back to the beginning, we see there's a large crowd following him. Verse 46, they came to Jericho, Jesus' disciples together with a large crowd. This crowd were pilgrims going up for the Passover festival. Now, they weren't too happy that this guy or these guys were screaming in the crowd. They were in a solemn thing. They were going, you know, heading to Jerusalem for the feast. And they were like, let's just get there. We're going to be quiet about this. Tell these guys to be quiet. Verse 46, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Now, it doesn't tell us why they told it. But I'll add some possibilities to that. This is the Bender version. Quote, hey, we're going to a religious event. You need to be quiet. God wants quiet. Well, he's never been to a Pentecostal church, I guess. I came from a church that was always stone quiet, reverential. Now, I get that to a point. But sometimes in our desire to keep quiet, we don't have the ability to express our love for God. Psalm 47 Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Psalm 100, verse 1, shout to the Lord, all the earth. It's okay to be demonstrative in your worship. Now, being loud doesn't mean you're spiritual, but neither does being quiet. It's all in your heart attitude. How are you worshiping God? In other words, these guys might be thinking to themselves, if you keep yelling, Jesus is going to stop and we're going to be late. It's easy to get in the rut of a schedule. Got to get there, get it done, 
You have timed appointments, you have calendars, and they're all important. But do we leave room in our day timer for God to work in us what he wants to work in us? It's easy to go bang, bang, bang to the next thing. But do we let God speak to us in those times? When you're driving, when you're sitting at your desk or in your office, wherever you are, do you allow God to speak to you or are you too busy focusing on the next thing? If we're too tied to time, we may miss out on the Holy Spirit moving. Now, I know that 12 o'clock is usually the uh, appointed time for church to be over. Why? Does the Bible tell us that that's when it's... I have 25 pages of notes. No, I don't. I'm, I, every once in a while, at about 11.59, I will hear somebody's watch go off or somebody's phone go off, indicating time to go. If we're too tied to time, we may miss out on what God wants to do. We need to be open for what God wants to do anytime during the service. It's easy to just follow the schedule, bang, 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 but we need to be open to what God wants to do. That's a time, the reason we rest after we, we worship. We worship, we express our love and gratitude to God. It's in the quiet time that we want God to express to us what he wants to express. That's why we take time to be quiet before God, and maybe God will speak to us during that time. And maybe God speaks to you personally during that time. Maybe God impresses something upon your spirit that it wouldn't happen if we instantly stopped and went to the next thing. We want to leave room for God moving. Another thing they may have said was, hey, quit using that messianic term. We're offended by that term. Now, people may or will get offended by our position on things. If we're being Christ-like in our attitude and ex while expressing God's viewpoint, we can't help how others may react to that. It doesn't mean we're offensive, but sometimes the truth to someone may be offensive to someone. We love and care for people, but we can't affirm their sin. If you go to the doctors, you want them to tell you the truth, right? So you can treat whatever the sickness is. If you walk into the doctors and you're sick and he tells you, yeah, you're fine, go ahead and go. He's not doing his job. Hopefully he has a good bedside manner, but in the end, you want him to tell you the truth. These guys were possibly offended by what Jesus was being called. It doesn't mean we don't share the truth with them. We just try to do it with love and encouragement. Now, talking about the bread of heaven and eating his flesh, the disciples said this, John in 660. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? John 8, 56 says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up the stones to stone him. Now, why? Because he equated himself with God by saying, I am, not bad English, 
He was equating himself to what God said in the bush to Moses. I am sent you. And they were offended because they knew he was telling the truth about calling himself God. The gospel will be offensive to some, but we should not be offensive in how we say it. Verse 48, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. He needed Jesus' mercy and did not let those around him stop him from crying out to God. If you're pursuing God in prayer, either at home or in church or wherever you're at, you can't let the naysayers make us stop praying. Well, God hasn't answered your prayer yet, and you might as well stop praying. God doesn't answer that type of prayer. You might as well stop praying. God's not a good God. Why are you trusting God for that? Don't let what people say stop you from seeking God. There will always be those who make us think that we're either bothering Jesus or that Jesus isn't going to answer. So you might as well stop praying. You might as well keep quiet. How many times did the disciples tell the cross to stay away? And every time Jesus rebuked them for that. When Jairus' died, daughter died, those around him said to him in Mark 35, Mark, Mark 5.35, while Jesus was still speaking, some men came from Jer the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they had said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Even well-meaning Christians may try to dissuade you from praying for something or trusting God for a miracle. But Jesus never once said to stop trusting. He never said there's going to come a point where you can just stop praying. The Bible says pray without ceasing. This guy or these two guys, they did not listen to the crowds and they kept yelling for Jesus. And Jesus heard the cry. Jesus hears you. And sometimes I think Jesus wants to see how persistent you are. Does this really mean something to you? Are you going to continue to be persistent and seeking me? Or is this just like a one-time prayer and it doesn't really mean that much to you? The woman and the unjust judge. The guy was a wicked judge. The woman kept pestering the judge for justice. And the guy said, I don't care about God, I don't care about this woman, just to shut her up, I'm going to give her what he, she wanted. God says, that's how you approach God, not that arrogant, but you keep coming to God until he says yes, or no, or wait. But he will answer at some point, and we keep persisting, and we keep praying, trusting that God's going to do it. Jesus heard his cry for mercy, and he always also acknowledged the title that was used, the son of David. Now, up until now, he told everyone to keep quiet, right? He said, every time you see a miracle, don't tell anybody. Here, this guy is crying out, calling Jesus, in fact, God, and he's listening to him, and he's not telling him to be quiet. And since he's walking to Jerusalem, this was the end of his ministry. It's now time to publicly acknowledge who he was. So basically, the cat's out of the bag. It's now time to let people know who I am that I am the Messiah, I am the one who's come. He did not tell him to be quiet. In fact, in verse 49 says, Jesus stopped and said, call him. Jesus heard him, 
But it was far enough away from Jesus that he had sent someone to go get him. Now, I don't, I don't picture Jesus screaming back at the guy. Hey, come here. He probably has one of his guys go get him. Bring him, bring him up here. Verse 50. He has someone go get him. Verse 50. So they called to the blind man. Cheer up. He's on your feet. On your feet. He's calling you. Notice how the crowd's attitude changed. Up to this point, they're telling him to be quiet. Leave us alone. As soon as Jesus acknowledged him, they're all, they're all on board now. All right? Once they knew Jesus was okay with it, they were, let's do it. Let's go ahead. The guy was desperate and did not let the crowds dissuade him. He kept calling until Jesus answered exactly how we're supposed to pray. Keep on going to Jesus until Jesus answers. Romans 12, 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. This guy kept on yelling until he was heard. We need to keep praying until God answers. And we can feel that in our spirit. Jesus calls him over and everything changes. The crowds, the crowds go from telling him to be quiet to telling him to go over. It's easy to be negative when Jesus doesn't answer right away. But as soon as he does, what do we say? Oh, we knew it all the time. You know, one of the reasons that we pray for the sick, we pray for God to do signs and wonders, as the Bible tells us to, the reason we do that is because, just like this guy, we want to get the crowd's attention. The miracles and the whatever gifts of the Spirit do not save people, but they get their attention so they can hear the gospel and they know that the power of God is real. Once they knew that Jesus was on board with it, they were like, okay, let's do this. And when people hear that God is doing something miraculous in our midst, people want to know what it is. They want to come and see what God's doing. Now this guy didn't wait for the crowds to say, okay, you can start, you can keep on crying. But as soon as Jesus called him and got his attention, verse 50 says, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. I'm guessing he doesn't want to trip on his coat since he's blind. He tosses it, runs to Jesus. Now in this account, it appears that he didn't realize it was Jesus until the crowds actually told him it was Jesus. Maybe he wanted to be sure it was Jesus. If he couldn't really see him, it might have been someone else in the crowd. But once they verified it, then he went. Before we jump into what we may feel God is talking to us about, it's okay to verify that it's actually God speaking to you. When Peter was in the boat, wanted to get out of the boat, he first asked Jesus, do you want me to get out of the boat? He could have jumped out of the boat without Jesus' approval, and he would have sunk right away. He needed to verify that what Jesus was telling him to do, he should do. It's okay for us when we feel God tugging us towards something or putting something in our spirit that we should do, it's okay to verify that, to keep praying and ask for God's confirmation on that. But there's going to come a point where you have to actually step out at some point and attempt what God's calling you to do. And we talked about this in our class today. It's, it's okay to fail in your attempts to please God. How many know that? Failure is not a sin, right? You attempt something for God and it doesn't work, guess what? Go back to the drawing board and attempt something else. 
I, I told the guys in the class this morning when I was ordained, they were preaching to preachers. The guy was preaching to preachers. He said, I'd rather have a preacher try a thousand things and fail than never try anything for God. Because you, unless you try something for God that you think God's leading you to, you're never going to accomplish anything. And so this guy was wanting to trust Jesus. He's going to step out and do it. Okay, if that's you, Lord, I'm coming to you. Throws off his coat and starts walking. Proverbs 15, 22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. It's okay to bounce things off of other Christians. And a lot of times God uses the Spirit of God to speak through other people to encourage you and to bless you. Now, there was a movement uh, probably in the 80s, I guess, the God told me to tell you movement. How many of you, you know, God told me to tell you this, God told me to tell you that. Well, there was actually a book about that. But what, when that happens, God doesn't do that to tell you something that you don't already know or something that you're already praying about. God may speak to someone, hey, you've been praying about a job. I think, you know, you, you're thinking about a job. I think it's okay to change. God may be saying that to you. And you're saying, yeah, I've been praying about a job. It's confirmation. It's not something that God doesn't speak to you first about. And when he's going up, other people were encouraging him to go up. He was getting confirmation from those around him. First, First Corinthians 14, 29. It says, two or three prophets should speak and the others should carefully weigh what is said. Now the wording here makes it sound like this guy may not have been totally blind, but he may be legally blind because he started walking. He didn't say he needed help over. He probably could see a little bit. Maybe his buddy was part totally blind and the two of them hung out together. We don't know. But in either case, this guy needed Jesus to do something for him. In verse 51, he goes over to Jesus and Jesus asked him this question. What do you want me to do for you? Well, that's a pretty good question, right? You ever ask yourself that? What do I want God to do for me? Notice that Jesus didn't automatically heal him. He could have healed him without asking him the question. Why not just heal him instantly? Kind of figured out what the, what the problem was. Jesus wanted to see if this guy had the faith to ask him personally for what the man believed to be a miracle. Do we pray for something that we know God can do, but maybe have doubts that God will do it? I think that's probably the biggest thing. I don't think any of us doubts that God can heal or that God can do the miraculous or that God can save people. No one doubts that. But do we doubt that God will do it? Jesus wanted this guy to actually verbalize what he believed in his head. I think, I, I know God can heal me. I don't know if he's going to. So Jesus says, what do you want me to do? Jesus wanted to help this guy's faith by asking him directly and making him answer the question. Now, it's one thing to wish and hope and pray from afar, but when confronted directly, Jesus right in front of him, does he have the faith to ask Jesus personally what he needed? Jesus wanted to him to exercise his faith by answering. Sometimes there's things we, we pray for and we may think are just way beyond our ability to do. And they are. 
And sometimes we think that maybe they're even way beyond God's ability to do. You have that stubborn person who doesn't know anything about God, doesn't know anything about God. You say, well, that guy can never get saved. That guy can never come to faith. Do you ask Jesus to change his heart? Do you ask Jesus to work in this guy's life to transform him into what he needs to be to be saved? So when you ask Jesus for something, are you specific? We pray for folks to to become Christians, and we pray, Lord, do whatever you need to do to draw them in. So we ask this guy, what do you want me to do? Verse 51 says, the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Notice his tone. He first called out using the messianic title. God, God. But here, he uses the term Rabboni, which is an expression of personal faith. Different from calling on God, now you're calling somebody personal. He's calling out, instead of calling, hey, Christian, I need a healing, or hey, preacher, I need a healing, to now saying, Pastor Jeff, I want to see when we pray, we, God, do this, God, do that, as opposed to, Dad, can you, heal, can you heal me? Can you make me see? Verse 52 says, go, Jesus says, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now, notice, no spitting, no mud, just go, and bam, you're healed. There is no pattern aside from constant prayer on the way that Jesus heals. How many know that? It's not a pattern. If we keep thinking there's a pattern or a formula other than just trusting God, we'll never see anything happen. Because if we think that God's not answering because our pattern's not right, or the form that we're saying is not right, or we didn't pray exactly what we wanted to pray, exactly the words that God wants to hear, rather than just coming to him in faith, Trusting that God can do it. It says he followed Jesus and probably the rest of the crowd into Jerusalem for the feast. The Bible never says whether this guy became a disciple or a believer. Now if we compare Matthew's account, we'll see another variable in the equation. Matthew 20 verse 34. It says Jesus had compassion on them and touch their eyes. The motivation for Jesus doing the miraculous was more often than not his compassion for the people he was praying for and healing. The healings and miracles were born out of compassion for their current situation, but also, more importantly, for their eternal salvation. I I found out, I read this the other day, and I found this to be like the life-changing for me. When the Bible says you have to have faith, and how many have heard that you don't have enough faith to be healed? How many have heard someone say that? Christians. Faith does not mean intellectual certainty in that God will heal. Faith means you have certainty in that God is a compassionate God. That just opened my mind because now 
This guy had this much faith, the faith the size of a mustard seed for the healing. But he had great faith in who Jesus was. Not that he was the healer, but who he was. If we believe that God is a compassionate God, he's my father, and everything he does is perfect, that's the faith that God wants us to have. And that whatever we pray, whatever happens responding to that prayer, we know that God did it out of his compassion and his goodness to us. So therefore, we trust that God is compassionate. God is loving toward his people. That's what we have faith in. It's not intellectual certainty that God is going to heal. Because nobody has that. Jesus did miracles out of his compassion for the people. Mark 8, 9.35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Doesn't say anything about faith. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He healed them because he felt sorry for them. And more importantly, he was concerned for their eternal welfare. Now, do we believe that Jesus still has compassion on people? We believe that God still cares about their eternal salvation. Why wouldn't we believe that God still heals and does the miraculous today if that's how he was then? He is compassionate towards people and he wants people to come to know Christ. That has not changed in 2,000 years. That's the same God who works today. If you read the Bible, you'll find out the Apostle Paul did not heal on command. There was a couple times that he did not heal at all. He told Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach. Trophimus, he told him he couldn't heal him. It's not on demand. But God does heal. God still does the miraculous. And we should come expecting God to do that. Not because we're special, not because that we're even Pentecostal. We should do it because that's what the Bible tells us how God works. That God is compassionate and God still heals people because he loves them and cares for them and wants them more than anything else to use that miracle as a springboard to faith. You see the miracle, you get saved. You see God working in a miraculous way, you know that God is true. Man, I want to know this God. I want to know how this God works in my life. How does this God speak to me? What does his word say to me? You get all that from the beginning when you see God do something that you can't explain in the miraculous. And healing is just one of them. Amen? Would you stand as we close this morning? Just bow your heads for a moment. Never want to assume that everyone who is here is a believer can sit in church for a long time and not know Christ but if you're here this morning you've never really accepted Christ and you really don't have any idea of what you just saw this morning or maybe you've seen it before and it didn't really mean anything to you but now you feel that tug of the spirit of God in you saying what is this I want to know what this is all about the Bible says we're all sinners we all fall short of God's glory God's expectations. The Bible says the wages of those sins that we commit is death, and death is the separation from God. And the Bible says that Jesus came as the gift, the gift of God 
is salvation through what Jesus did for us. He paid our debt. He suffered because of me. He suffered because of you. And the Bible says that all you have to do is not just acknowledge it in your head, but you have to acknowledge it in your heart. If you believe and you confess, you believe in your head and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Savior. The Bible says then you're saved. And the Bible says at that point, as many as receive him, those he gave the authority of the right to be called children of God. You've never, you can't look back at a time in your life where you actually said, I trust Jesus. Then you probably don't. You probably haven't. But today is the day to do that. If you're here and you've never accepted Christ and you want to repent of your sin, you want to accept Christ's forgiveness, and you want to be a part of God's family, this is the day for you. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Maybe you came this morning doubting the things that you believe. Even John the Baptist said, you know, uh, we see Jesus doing these things, but are you, are you really the guy? It's okay to have doubt. But you only have doubt so you can answer that doubt with truth. And the Bible is the truth. And when we preach from God's word, we study God's word, and we experience the power of God in prayer and in worship, we know the reality of that is true. We, we can walk out of here no longer having the same doubt, but having confidence in what God is going to do. We prayed for immediately, immediate healing. Sometimes Jesus healed immediately, and sometimes Jesus healed and it took time. In either case, Jesus healed. And we believe that, we believe that God is going to do that today. So, Father, we just, we stand in your presence this morning. And we thank you that we serve a God who is not afar off. We serve a God who is living, who is active, who is right here with us this morning. And you're not here because of our goodness. You don't heal because of our goodness. We heal because of your compassion and your love for us. And the Bible says the goodness of God leads us to repentance. When we realize how good you have been to us, it makes us want to live right. So Lord, help us to live right. Help us to be an example to those we come in contact with, that they would see something in us that draws them to you, that they can experience the same joy and peace that we have, the same confidence in healing that we have. They don't know it, but when they accept Christ, they will have it. And we want to express that to them in our life. So Father, help us to do that. Help us to receive the healing that you've given us today and help us to be confident in that healing. And let us come back next week healed in the name of Jesus, ready to testify to the power of God, to the God gets the glory. We don't want any credit, Lord. We don't want any credit. We want you, Jesus, to get the credit. So Father, bless us as we leave this morning. And allow us to feel your love for us every day. Because you love us. And you gave us the right to call you dad.
So, Father, bless us as we leave today. And we'll thank you for what you've done this morning in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Give the Lord a praise offering this morning, would you? Hallelujah. Have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday.